Thank you, Tim. Good morning, guys. It's really good to be with you guys. Jeepers, it's like double the numbers from the last service. But I'm less nervous than I was in the first one. This is not my first rodeo. <laughs> okay, let's go. My name is Luto, and it's really good to be with you. I'm the youth pastor here, and in this last season, also the Sunday barista quite a lot, more than I have been uh, a preacher. So every moment I get to speak to you guys, I... I, I really cherish, I really hold dear, and um, I don't take it lightly. And so we're, we're carrying on with our series, Neighbor is a Verb, and I just want to run us back to the beginning when Paul opened up the series because he, he mentioned the story, and I'm going to mention it just as a foundation to our thinking because I don't think we've referenced it enough, but it's about that word, well, neighbor, and the concept of neighbor being a verb. Now, I'm slowish, so I had to think verb, what is that again? And then I went back to primary school, doing word. And so neighbor is not, neighbor is not something we are, but something we do. It's not so much as we're going to learn about the person next door to us, but the people we choose to love. And so Jesus tells this story to illustrate this point, but let me give you another prefix is that the Pharisees come to test him and they say, what's the most important law uh, in the law and the commandments? And he says, one, love the Lord your God with all your mind heart, soul. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so they go, I don't want to love lots of people, so finesse, who's my neighbor? Get that on video, I did a little tour. Uh, <laughs> so, so they try to sidestep him by saying, who's my neighbor? And the attempt is to get out of loving lots of people. So he tells the story, he says, there's a guy on, his, on, on a journey to somewhere, I'm paraphrasing, and he gets robbed and beaten up close to death and left for dead on the side of the road. Two of his own countrymen, two people like him, of his own culture and likeness, whatever you want to say that is. So let's say this was a Zulu man, and two Zulus walk past him. <laughs> Bad example. Let's take it home. Let's take it home. Horses. <laughs> and two horses leave him. <laughs> and two horses walk past him, and they, they're like, hey, not my baby. Bless you, man. Go well. And they leave him be. So that's, I'm paraphrasing him. This is the 21st, um, 21st century version of an old story. And so they walk past him. And then let's change the character. The closer man is Julius Malema. Venda, no? But it's Julius Malema. And then lo and behold, Eugene Tablanche from the RVBR comes up. <laughs> and in the story, he's called the Good Samaritan. Because unlike the guys of the same culture, he stops, with, he stops at Julius. Just picture the scandal of this moment as Eugene Sablanche takes Julius by the hands, tends to his wounds, puts, puts him on his cot, and he walks while Julius enjoys his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays his bill, and says, keep him here, look after him until he gets well, and whatever his bill amounts to, I'll pay it on my way back. Then Jesus asks them, who was the neighbor in that story? All of a sudden, it's not about who's next door. It's not about who you love. It's about who you've chosen to show love to regardless of how different and how much of a reason you have to hate or dislike them. Neighbor is a verb and love is a choice. On that bombshell and with that foundation. <laughs> I'm just going to take a while to get rid of that story in my head now. So I'm going to tell you another story. To set up now today's message. And so back in the day, I worked 
part-time as a lifeguard on December holidays and all the other small school holidays. And so about eight years ago, like this last October long weekend we just had, I was down in St. Mike's working life-saving on the beach, and it was a terrible day. The conditions are horrible. I could explain exactly what was happening, but it's going to take too long. And so we're standing there, and two of us were on duty, but we were inside the tower. Now our bosses hate it when you stay inside the building. They want you to be out on the beach. But we'd closed the beach, so we'd crossed the flags. That means the beach is closed, and there's people surfing out there, but they can handle just here on the beach. It wasn't a good day um, to let that happen, in our opinion. And so we're standing up there. We're watching, um, and then this, this old guy that looks a little bit like Jason Statham walks up alongside the building and stops there and has a look at the beach. And he looks and he looks, and we like also, we're just standing there looking. And he comes up to the window in the most polite manner ever, and he goes, hey, just curious, why is the beach closed? And so I thought he was a volley, someone from Gauteng. And he was like, hey, I mean, so we gave him that explanation, the dummies version. But nicely, not condescendingly, told him the story, oh, it's like this and like that, so it's not safe. And he sort of accepted it and he walked away. And the second time he came back again and he was like, so what about the poor holiday makers? And this was after some time. And so again, the dummies version, so sorry, sir, unfortunately, this is just the way it is, the conditions and stuff, la, la, la. And he seemed like he accepted it. But halfway back to his post where he looks out, all those demons that Jesus cast out of the pigs came into this man at once. <laughs> Boom! And he turned around with like the fire of hell. Open that beach! This is unacceptable! La, la, la. And he started like freaking out. But we're inside the building. He's outside the building. We feel safe. This door that everyone knows is here and can see is locked. He can't come in. So he's screaming through the window. And this is where things get scandalous. There's a door through the first aid room on the left-hand side of the building. But you have to know the building to know it's there. And it leads right to where we're standing inside the office. And this man, freaking out as he is, and us are going, sir, unfortunately, blah, blah, blah. but like now I've gotten a bit like cocky and condescending because like why is he freaking out? And he comes around the front of the building, comes into, and I'm like, oh boy. And he pops out right here. And I remember this guy looks like Jason Statham. And he's like, you open that beach right now. And as he points at me like this, his arm is like that far from me and I can see that vein running down his arm, and I'm just going, you, if this man smacks me. <laughs> he actually called me, I didn't tell this in the first service, but he called me, because we were arguing quite a bit, and he called me into the locker room by myself in the back, and I was like, mm -mm. I didn't, I just knew there's no cameras in the locker room, there's no people in there, this man's going to bounce me all over those walls. And so, terrified, and he's freaking out, and the whole point of this, or, or he's going the whole time, hey, if you knew who I was, you do what I'm telling you. And I'm going, right, just tell me who you are. And <laughs> instead, instead of telling me who he is, he like carried pushing the same agenda. So we're like, okay, we're going to phone the bosses. We're scared of the bosses. Guys, understand that when we see the bosses car coming across the bridge down there, we jump. So he, we, he says, call the bosses, or we say we're going to call the bosses. We grab the landline. They don't answer. This man walks out without taking their numbers from us, walks past the window yelling at our bosses by name, Sheldon, Sean, get you now. And for us, that was like <sighs> instant death. I could, I, if I remember correctly, I could, I'm sure I tinkled. It was just <laughs> terror as the stranger has authority over my bosses who I thought were like the bosses. But that whole story, so that story ended with us like lining up, getting shouted at, and then me being told that one day I'm going to catch a slap and being made like humbled and made to open the beach in a way. But that's not the point. I want to come back to a line he said where he said, if you knew who I was, you would do what I say. And of course, I didn't know who he was, and he's an idiot for not just telling me who he was. Obviously, he was having a bad day. 
And again, I say, if you're watching this by some miracle, I forgive you. <laughs> I won't name him, but he was an onion. So, but I, as I was writing this, I just thought of that story, and I thought, well, what if God is saying the same thing? Not as an onion, though, but just saying, if you knew who I was, you would do what I say. And I, like, I, take that, I took that forward, and I went, Yo, but then if you would just tell me, the thing about God is that he hasn't, he hasn't left himself a, a, a mystery. He's made himself known. He's got reference points. And so it says in Psalms 19 verse 1, and I'm not even using, the Bible is not using the Bible in this point. It's saying creation testifies. And so it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's evident in the natural world. Romans 1 verse 20 says the same thing. It says, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. God has made himself known in the natural world. And as I've studied biology in school, I don't remember it exactly, but I've caught some things along the way. Funny thing, I still remember the three pieces of the ear by name, not the hammer, anvil, and stirrup. That's basic. I know that they're Amelius, Ingus, and Stapes. I'm a genius. <laughs> but all those little things, like I could speak about that biology and how when I speak, vibrations hit those things, and I have my like, balance from it, from a little bit of water that's moving in my ears, and all of that wonderful stuff. But God's biggest flex, in my opinion, of his creation to say that I am God and I can do anything is the mountain goat, also known as the ibex. This thing has got a chubby stomach, four legs, and hooves instead of fingers. But it can climb, Matt Salt's not here anymore, but it, so it can climb a mountain or a dam wall or anything steep far better than anyone in this room and beyond this room can ever hope to imagine. I watch these things on planet Earth and they fight down the side of a cliff, moving backwards. A goat. <laughs> and so God has, has let the natural world testify to who he is. But he hasn't just left it there. His reference, point, reference points don't stop there. If you lean into the word, which is what we're talking about today, the word testifies about who God is as well. And it leaves very little to question about not who people think he is, but who he says he is. See, I think one thing that's very unique about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Christian, is that he reaches out to man on his terms, and he tells us who he is. And so God has left very little to question about who he is in nature and in his word. Now, there's two layers to his word. There's two components to his word. It's the, it's the actual book itself. And so if you invest some time into the book, you will get to know a little bit about who God is. And then there's a second layer of that is Jesus himself says in John, in, in John 1 verse 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. I mean, the word was with God and the word was God. And through it, everything was made and nothing that was made was made without it. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but there's the word, the written word, and the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know who God is, you have to get to know his word. If you want to know who God is, you have to get to know his son. Those are the two preconditions to knowing 
God. And so a friend asked me the other day, because if you're in the beginning of this journey or you've drifted away somewhere and you want to get back into the habit, he was going, I want to get to know God, but I don't know where to start. I'd say in reading his word, go to the gospels. That takes you again to the word in the word. The, the first person account from God to man, Jesus Christ himself. And so you'll read those accounts. And as you read them, a secondary challenge, once you've gone through it the first time, read it again. But the second time, read it from the perspective of the Pharisees because a lot of the messages that apply to us are those things that Jesus, are those criticisms that Jesus has for the Pharisees. That's just a throwaway tip. I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> but anyways, so there's, I don't know if you've seen sometimes in the, in the I nearly called these things adverts, in the announcements, they've got recovery group. And so the recovery group here on Fridays is run by a, 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 a place called Project Exodus. They also have a group on Wednesdays at Anthem. And these guys have got this, they, they're like for addiction and stuff. They deal with addiction. They get people through the process of uh, rehab and all the rest of that whole recovery journey. So it's called recovery. And within their recovery, they've got this thing called a life recovery plan. And one of the elements of this life re recovery, re <sighs> guys, I'm tinkering. I'm like, <laughs> I'm at the end of myself after the, the, the week I've had. So forgive me if I start speaking in tongues. So the, the, the one principle they have is called mooring lines. And so essentially what mooring lines are, they're taken from the shipping world and they go, it's those ropes that hold a ship fast to a moor or to a dock so that it doesn't drift away. And I chose the words to describe it, hold fast, because it means to remain tightly bound, it remain, remain tightly secured. And so I like that principle so much that I go, if we could take that same idea when it comes to applying the word and see the word as mooring lines. The word keeps us tightly secured to who God is and our relationship with him so that we will not drift away. Now in recovery they say, what happens is that if you don't have your mooring lines in check, if you don't check your mooring lines, what happens is that you become complacent. And once you become complacent, you start to drop your lines. Once you drop your lines, you drift away. Right? And I know how many Christians can relate with that, with becoming complacent, dropping your lines, and finding yourself far off. It doesn't have, even have to be a storm, but should you get caught in a storm and you've dropped your lines, you're in trouble. And the same is true for, for that recovery. They go, if you drop your lines, if you get complacent, you're more likely to relapse. You're on your way to a relapse. And so can we picture the word as those mooring lines? That's how we're going to think of them from this moment forward. The word is our mooring lines. It's not just the, the standard we pursue, but it's also the lines of truth that we hold on to to keep us secure in times of trouble. Right? And so earlier this year, I was teaching the interns about well, some foundational theology from the Bible projects. And in that process, I committed to memory the scripture from Exodus 30, I think it's 36 or 34. Exodus 34 verse 6, it says, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And it speaks to the characteristics of God, who God is. He's Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And so I committed that to memory in this process of teaching. 
And then the second word that I had in the beginning of the word, I mean in the beginning of the year, was from Psalm 119, verse 105. And it goes, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And I thank God that by his grace, he gave me those two words. Well, things are okay. Because as life would have it, things started to happen. Storms started to hit. Life started to punch. And at some stage, I was laid flat on my back, down for the count. One, two, three. And in that moment, I needed to know my lines. And again, I say, I thank God that I had those two lines. And so in that moment, I just had Yahweh, Yahweh compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and overflowing with loyal love and patience, I mean, and, and faithfulness. This is who God is. I just needed to know who God is. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious. I'm dying. I can't sleep. I can't eat. Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. And then the second scripture showed me where to go in that desperation it was going. His word is a light for your, for your path. It's a lamp for your feet. And so out of desperation, I reached out for another line, I reached out for his word. And as I walked a journey, I was picking up more lines and holding on to more lines. And the writers of scripture do the same thing. King David, because I, I found myself reading the Psalms, I did the Psalms probably three times from beginning to end over and over again. And then there, one of the first ones I committed to memory again is David doing the same thing. In his time of trouble in Psalm 51, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your love and faithfulness, according to your compassion. He appeals to the same scripture, Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious. He knew his lines. In Lamentations, I don't know who the writer of Lamentations is, but he's also grieving the state of Israel, the, the state of his own experience, the hopes that are lost. And he says, I will remember the bitterness of this moment. I'll remember the, the pain and the loss, the taste in my mouth. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions... I mean, yes, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. Again, they knew their lines. The, the, our heroes of faith knew their lines, and so they had something to hold on to when the storms of life hit. You need to know your lines. Like I said, I, I just had one line, and, and this is the last example I'm going to make. Jesus gets baptized, God speaks to him, and then he goes into the desert to be tempted. And in the desert, while he's being tempted, he didn't fight with any supernatural powers or anything. He fought with his knowledge of the word. He fought with his lines. Every time the devil threw a punch, he threw a line. Do this, or are you this, or it says this, and he fights with a line. He goes, for it is written. On top of worship, we sang the song, this is how I fight my battles, in praise and in our proclamations. That's how we fight our battles. You have to know your lines, but it doesn't stop there. I'm going to challenge everyone in the room now because it says this, and I've said it before. I said we don't get to see the power of God sometimes because we won't take him at his word, especially when it doesn't make sense. As soon as it gets uncomfortable, we go into our own way. It says this in James 1 verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And I take that further and say, even when it doesn't make sense. 
the other day, again, in preparation for this message, I, I, I was taken back to the story about the wise man who built his house on a sand, I mean, on, on rock, and the foolish man who built his house on sand. And now, when I read this again, I was annoyed. I, was, I got irritated at myself because I, we all know that story. We all know the song, the wise man built his house on the rock, and the rains came, and his house stood firm because he'd built it on a rock, and we, un- we think we understand the principle. But when I read it again with fresh eyes, just listen and see if you catch it. Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Then it speaks about the conditions and them testing the house. And then it says in verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And I thought to myself, damn it, have I been building my house next to the rock the whole time? Because I knew the word. I've been reading the word, but I don't know how how much I've been doing what it says. And so it's right there, whoever hears these words of mine and does what they say. And the fool, whoever hears these words of mine and doesn't do what they say. And so, like I say, even as we walk out, like walk out of here today, if you just hear this and you say, good performance, Luther, you've missed the mark. You've missed the point. If you just take it and go, oh, this, just, this made me feel good and it's going to help me have a nice day, you've missed it. But if you will hear it and challenge yourself to do it, you'll be like the wise man who built his house on a rock. And so now we get to that point here where I could, I could strong arm you into doing what I say because I feel like I've convinced you. So I could throw out the Great Commission now and say, God says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And you have to be obedient. <laughs> but I'm not going to do that. I could read from Romans, which I intended to, but it says, it says there, how will they believe if they haven't heard and how will they hear if no one tells them? But I won't do that either. I, you see, I also read while I was reading the Gospels, This thing where Jesus was telling the Pharisees or was criticizing them, saying, how do you put a yoke on other people that you yourself can't bear? And so instead, I'm going to tell you a story and some stories. And the point of these stories is to encourage you about the process. Because when I got this assignment, my first thought in my head, because Ross looked at me in the eyes and I sort of was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. But in my head, I was freaking out because I was like, God, I'm still wrestling with all of this stuff. How am I going to tell people about the word when I'm still in my own fight about it. But around the same time, I was reading a devotion. I was, so it was by Priscilla Shira, Shira and, I, and I thought it was about one thing, and it turned out like every single day it was just about obedience. And at the same time was this challenge about this word. At the same time was like those, those like the beginnings of revelation about obedience. I was reading from Ezekiel as well while I was going. First, I got that scripture that says, um, the harvest is, is plenty, but the hands are few. That was from the Gospels. And so I felt challenged. And then the second part of it, like while I was like going, okay, it feels clear that God wants me to do something. And I work at DHS, by the way, when I'm not here. And so I teach all the grade nines at DHS, hello. And so I was feeling challenged that the, the harvest is plenty, but the hands are few. But I was like, mm. and then I read Ezekiel and he was saying, more sternly, go. And if they're stubborn, don't worry, I'll give you the words to say and I'll make, your, I'll make you hard-headed so that you'll be more hard-headed than them. And so, 
I went. And, and here's, what happened, here's what happened next. Is that the first time I, I was just buying some people lunch, like some kids' lunch. So, and like I was scared, so I wasn't saying anything about anything. But one other guy who wasn't part of this whole conversation noticed my tattoo and in an attempt to trap me, like a Pharisee said, Sir, are you holy? Because I knew what he was trying to do. Hey, I'm feeling like Jesus right now. So I stepped and I was like, nah, I'm not holy, but why do you ask? And that opened up a whole conversation where I got to share my journey around this tattoo, which says it is finished. Jesus' famous last words. And I got to tell him how Jesus saved my life. Other people I got to just teach about the historicity of Jesus over this process. Like as I just sat with them, sat with them at break and made the decision that I'm going to be intentional about being in this space. And I'm going to use my lines. And so that's been part of the process. I met a pastor's kid who was uh, battling with porn addiction. And I got to call him and I was just stand with him quietly to the side. He spoke to me and I got to say, bro, there's therefore no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And from there we've walked our journey. I've just got to use my lines. Two of my favorite stories. There's this kid who I call the Grand Mufti. That's from Islam. The chief is, he's just one of my favorite kids and he's been teaching me about, a little bit about what he believes and I've been teaching about, a little bit about what I believe. And he happened to walk past me there one day while I was coming out of class and he heard me say the word God, talking about aliens and stuff. And he, he's my friend. So he's like, oh, so you're not allowed to teach about that stuff at school. What kind? And I, and I was like, I relaxed. But that started a conversation where first we spoke about the identity of Jesus. We, and as we walked, it landed up under Seabrooks there, DHS on the field, just talking to a group of Muslim guys and debating the person of Jesus. And I, like, I've intentionally not given you any of the outcomes of these stories because it's not about me. It's not about the result. But it's just about being able to. And so we live as Christians in this tension where we get to know and experience the word for ourselves and not just go to people and go, the word says, but to... But we have that obligation as well. We have the obligation to share the word, but we also have this tension to be sensitive to people and to love them where they are and all this stuff. And so we, I don't want to ignore that tension, but I want to say still challenge yourself to be intentional. And the point of those stories was to say, as you open yourself to doing that, God will open this, the, the way. He'll give you the words. He'll give you the lines. He'll present the moment. The last story is this kid who, I was here and I wasn't working that day, but one of the other mentors called me and said, hey, there's a kid who needs you here. Just... Come quickly. So I said, I'll see him at break. And I get there, and I sit with him, and we have a conversation, and he, he just opens up about his father. He's scared. His father's overseas. He's just got COVID. He's scared. He's super anxious and depressed, and this and that. He's not sleeping. And I just, my spirit just went, you were born for such a time as this. And so I just got to empathize with him up front. I didn't want to be like, oh, brah, we joy in our suffering. I thought he was Muslim, actually. So I was like, oh, I'm, uh, how am I going to get to, like, talk to this guy about what I want to talk to him about? And so I just got to relate to them. And then when I asked him what he believed, by the way, I was trying to record something here before I left. And so when I asked him what, I, what he believed, he was like, oh, I'm Christian, but I, I just swear so much that I don't think I can like, be as, you know? And so I got to cut him off right there. I was like, this, <laughs> I knew my lines in that moment. And I just got to tell him the thing I was about to minister. Listen, I've just had the realization as I was convicted about my own sin that I've never been worthy. But that's not a bad thing because it's always been about Jesus. And I just got to tell him about Jesus. I got to pray for him in the middle of a coffee shop. And so as we use our lions, we get to help other people. We get to...
take this message forward, we get to give other people, our life. it's called a lifeline. And so just to bring this thing full circle, there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4 who says, praise, that says, Praise be to God our, our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any troubles with the comfort we ourselves received. Now I've, broke, I've intentionally broken that into two parts. One, who comforts us. And the reason I started this whole thing the way I did started with going, you need to know the word. You need to have a personal relationship and you need to know your lines is because that's where it begins. You see, receiving comfort, again, is about picking up your lines, about wrestling with God like Jacob did. That's receiving God's comfort so that we can comfort those in their troubles with the comfort we ourselves received. Our comfort is not just for us, but we have to experience it from the person of Jesus first or we're just giving good advice. And another thing that happens though, when we pass on our comfort or when we love with the love that we've been loved with, when we comfort with the comfort we've been comforted with, we make God's love complete. Part of the human experience of God is how people love them. Part of our neighbor's experience of God is how we love them. And so we have to know our lines. We have to know the word. And then we have to use it. We have to pass it on. We have to, once we've become secure, and don't wait to become completely secure. If you've only got one line, you've got an experience. But once, we've, once, we've, once we know our lines, once we know a line, open yourself up, be obedient to pass that line on to someone else. Give someone a lifeline. I've learned in this last season that there's no shortage of people in pain. There's no shortage of people that are depressed. There's no shortage of people that are anxious. There's no shortage of anxiety, fear, brokenheartedness, whatever the case may be, or all the other words you can think of to say in a rut or in a bad situation, there's no shortage. But what we get to do as Christians is we get to be comforted by God our Father so that we can comfort them with the comfort we ourselves receive so that we can throw others a lifeline. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. God, thank you for your son and that out of that love and compassion for us, you gave us him to save us, set us free, God. And thank you that in that freedom we receive your spirit and we get to be in com communion with you again, God. Thank you that it's not just for us, but it's for other people as well. And so as we leave here today, God, can, we, can you help us pick up our lines and hold on to them and that when we get secure, can you give us the courage, the boldness to step out and to share our lines? We ask all of these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Guys, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the rest of your mornings and there's tea and coffee outside.